0: We are continuing our study on the pursuit of a biblically healthy church tonight, and uh, probably the most uh, favorite topic that we could talk about is uh, what is the gospel. Um, The message of the gospel is central to who we are as a church, to what we are as a church, to our mission as a church, and yet when we hear the word gospel, it can actually carry a multitude of meanings. I mean, sometimes when you think about gospel, some people think about a certain kind of music, Um, whether it's gospel music, southern gospel music. Sometimes you hear people use the word gospel simply to relate truth. Like, that's the gospel truth. Um, And uh, so there can be confusion sometimes when we talk about the gospel, not just because of the variety of meanings, but also because of the, the application of Gospel. Some people, when they think about what the gospel is, they, they think, well, it, it's the, the first four books of the Bible in the New Testament. You know, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and so on and so forth. And certainly, there is an element of truth to that, um, as they uh, reveal to us the story of, or the rather, the history of Christ's life and ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, and which contains the gospel. There's also a sense in which the whole of Scripture is the gospel. Um, But, you know, when we share the gospel with people, we don't share with them everything from Genesis to Revelation. You know, so while in a general sense, the gospel we can say is the whole of the Word of God, we should also note that it's really that the whole of God's Word contains aspects of the gospel which point us to a specific truth concerning God's redemptive plan. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about God's redemptive plan. The, The word gospel uh, it means good news, you've probably heard that, um, and, and it is the good news that, that uh, God wants to save us, um, and that he sent his son to accomplish that purpose. But uh, in, in Greek, actually the word that's translated as gospel um, is, is uh, if you transliterate it, you get very close to our word evangelism, um, and uh, so the gospel is what we do, or evangelism is what we do with the evangel. That is, we, we take the good news and we, and we share it. And so, as we think about being a healthy church, we have to have a clear and consistent representation and understanding of what the gospel is so that we're all on the same page, so that we're, we're communicating the same truth, and, so that, and that we're doing it in a biblical manner. Um, as Mark Dever points out in the Nine Marks book, um, some points of confusion about the gospel, he says... The gospel is not the news that we're okay. It's not the news that God is love. It's not the news that Jesus wants to be our friend. It's not the news that he has a wonderful plan for our life. Now, those things are true, but they're not the gospel. He goes on, he says, sometimes it's tempting to present some of the very real benefits of the gospel as the gospel itself. And these benefits tend to be the things that non-Christians naturally want, like joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment, self-esteem, or love. Yet presenting them as the gospel is presenting a partial truth. Fundamentally, we don't need just joy or peace or purpose. We need God himself. So when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the ability to have a restored relationship with our heavenly Father. So the gospel is the good news that restores that relationship. The Bible reveals to us in its entirety this message that we are a people in need of a Savior and that God has done the work in providing one for us. When it comes to understanding and communicating the gospel, we need to remember that it has been said that the gospel is simple enough that even a child can understand it, yet it is so profound that even the most learned scholars can never plumb its depths. I mean, this is, when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about a very specific message, but also a very deep message that comes to us from the words of Scripture. And it's, so, understanding that, we understand that it's something that we could literally talk about forever. But for the sake of simplicity, and because I'm sure you all don't want to be here forever... We're going to uh, look at four aspects of the gospel because, in, in essence, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about God's redemptive plan, we're talking about it in, in four primary aspects. We're talking about who God is, we're talking about who we are, we're talking about who Christ is and what he did, and then we're talking about our response to that reality. So that, in short, in those four aspects, communicate to us the gospel message. That's what we're going to talk about tonight as we clarify a biblical understanding of the gospel. So the first thing that we have to begin with is understanding who is God. Now, you might think that that's a pretty simple task, but you haven't been paying attention. (laughs) God, just God in himself is unfathomable. So understanding him is something that, that we can never fully understand, although he's revealed himself into a way that we can understand him. But even beyond that, when we think about people's perceptions of God, there's about as many different perceptions of who God is as there are the number of people. Um, People have a tendency to put their own ideas on who God is, to, to kind of conform God into their own image and pointing to their understanding of God. And we can't assume when we go to share the gospel with people that they just understand who God is, a biblical understanding of who God is. I can remember years ago, I was sharing with somebody very close to me in in my life and and sharing the the truths of the gospel with them and I was talking about God's holiness and God's justice and I was stopped short and told, that's not my God. They didn't want to hear about God's justice. They didn't want to hear about God's holiness. They had made up their mind Who God was to them, and that was the limit that they would put on it. Talk to people who want to believe that God is a woman. Talk to people that want to believe that God is only love apart from his justice. Talk to people that have a very different ideas about who God is, and so when we think about sharing the gospel with somebody we need to understand that not everybody understands who god is and we want to give them some people don't accept him at all so when we present a when we present the gospel we need to be clear about who god is so what does the bible say of course the bible doesn't seek to prove god's existence it begins in genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning god you know it just it just presumes that God is, that God exists. And, of course, we know through, through Scripture, the scripture uh, in Romans, in chapter 1 and verse 20, it tells us that, that through creation, God has revealed himself so that we are without excuse. His eternal power has been revealed through the things which have been made. And so, God doesn't seek to prove himself to us. He just says, I am this is the revelation of who I am. You know I exist because of what you see in creation, and I've revealed myself specifically to you through the prophets and the apostles, so listen to what I've said. And so we look to the Word of God to understand more fully, not only that just that God exists, which is evident through creation and the beauty of the things that He's made and the order in which we see in creation, but specifically in the Word of God, we come to know specifics about God's character. We learn that not only that God creates everything, but it all belongs to Him. In Psalm 24.1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. When it comes to God's character, we like to emphasize God's love, and God is love. But His love is only a component of His holiness, in which He holds all of His attributes in perfection. In Leviticus 19.2, God told Moses to speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When we think of God, I think the primary attribute of God that we should focus on is His holiness. Every other character of God flows out of His holiness. His justice flows out of His holiness. His love flows out of His holiness. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see the, the vision that Isaiah has and the cherubim are around the throne of God crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy. And because of his holiness and his perfection, his standard for fellowship is equal to his character. Because God is holiness, the Bible tells us that he cannot allow sin into his presence. And yet, He he created us for fellowship with Him. He created us good. He created us to walk with Him and to have fellowship with Him. And somewhere along the way, we've messed it up. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute when we talk more about man. But God's standard for fellowship is perfection. And He demands perfect obedience. Just as Jesus taught in Matthew 5.48 that you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is perfect in every aspect of his being. He is eternal, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. In his purity and holiness, he is perfect. He is also perfect in his judgments. And as I said, somewhere along the way, we messed up that relationship, humanity, Adam in particular. God gave Adam one rule. One rule. Don't eat the fruit from the tree in the midst of the garden. One rule. Now we got a whole bunch. (laughs) We can't keep one. I don't know why God thought we could keep a whole bunch, but we broke the one and then he gave us more. Man rebelled against God. They rejected his provision, they rejected his sovereignty, they rejected his rule. And God told Adam right from the very beginning, before Adam ever did anything wrong, he said, basically he told him he was going to disobey him. He said, and in the day that you do, you will surely die. Now, we all know Adam did not die physically that day. He died spiritually. He began to die physically And he would die ultimately if not for God's intervention and redemption. And this is where the good news comes in. Because of the reality of what sin does. We need some good news. But for us to understand the good news, we have to understand the fullness of the bad news that comes along with sin. We have to understand who exactly we are before a holy God. Because Adam sinned, his sinful nature has been passed on to each successive generation. So that from the time that we are able to recognize sin for what it is, we become guilty before God. And when you become guilty before God, you stand condemned. That is the reality of what sin is. We are Offenders against God's holiness, against God's law. He is perfect. He does not allow imperfection. If if God, who is perfect, were to allow imperfection to come into his realm, then he would cease to be perfect. So by necessity of his own perfection, he must keep it out. And we are outside of that perfection. We are all sinners. That's what we read from Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We learn from James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. And then Romans 6.23 just echoes the same truth that God told Adam in the very beginning, that the wages of sin is death. That is eternal judgment, eternal separation from God. You know, our culture pushes an agenda of affirmation and self-worth and has made it very difficult for people to recognize just how bad sin is. We've been told for so long from the time that we're small children that we are perfect the way we are, that we're good. We've had people building into our self-esteem and telling us how good we are that somewhere along the way we began to believe it. And when you believe that you're good, you can't understand your need for God. Only in the recognition of your separation and in the the vileness of what sin is and what it does to you can you appreciate the magnitude of God's love. So while we certainly need to preach the love of God, apart from the reality of our own sinfulness, God's love has little meaning for us. And we begin to think of God's love as something that we deserve, rather than the unmerited gift of grace that it is. We are separated from God. Isaiah 59, chapter 2, I quoted it. In part, this morning, I paraphrased it, let me put it that way, this morning, it says that our sins have separated us from God, and our iniquities have hidden his face from us so that he will not hear. That is our condition. We are separated, we are deserving of God's judgment, which is not just a slap on the wrist, it's not just a temporary time out. It is everlasting torment in the lake of fire, separated from his holiness, But if we understand God's holiness, if we understand who he is, and then we understand what sin does and how it separates us, we come to that point like the thief on the cross next to Jesus, and we recognize we deserve this punishment. But he's done nothing wrong. And that's where we need to get. You can't appreciate the good news of the gospel until you know the bad news of what sin is and what sin does. So here's our position. We're bound by sin, separated from God, condemned to an eternity apart from His grace and His love. And it is this reality that really makes the good news of the gospel so truly sweet. Because from the first time that man sinned against God, God revealed a plan for redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. You Go all the way back to Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned against God and God is reprimanding them for their offenses. And in His address to the serpent who was seeking to Let's just put it this way. He was seeking to bring mankind to the same despicable end that he was determined for him. And God steps in in Genesis 3.15 and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And with that announcement, God announced the defeat of Satan's plan. And he spoke of the seed of woman. Seeds passed down by the man. That's just biology. So when he announces this distinction between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, he's talking about something supernatural that's going to happen in years to come. And we know that that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ who came born of the Virgin Mary. So we know that he speaks of Christ. Even here in Genesis 3. And then God does something else. God makes the very first sacrifice in order to atone for the sin of Adam and Eve. And he, and he slaughters an animal and he covers them with skin, with animal skin, to cover their shame. He makes that sacrifice to point to the sacrifice that would one day be made through the God-man, Jesus Christ who alone, listen, who alone could fully deal with sin. The sacrifice of animals only ever pointed to a future reality. It could never, Hebrews tells us, it could never deal with our sin. The sinless sacrifice, the innocent blood of the God-man Jesus Christ is the only means by which our sin could be atoned for. And God continues to reveal his plan through the pages of Scripture as time went on. He revealed more and more of how he was working to bring about the fulfillment of that redemption until the time when Christ came. And he came into the world as a substitutionary sacrifice, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Him. That's good news. That's good news that Christ came to be our substitute, to take our sin on Himself and to give us of His righteousness. His perfection rests on us so that we can have fellowship with the Father. Remember, God is holy and perfect, and only perfection can dwell in the presence of God's holiness. Christ's perfection rests on us so that we are accepted in Him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news. He sent Jesus so that we didn't have to die the death of eternity but we could live forever in his presence. Good news. But you know what? The good news of the gospel, it doesn't carry an automatic application. That is It doesn't apply to you just because you know it. It doesn't apply to you just because you've heard it. We have to respond to it. The twin graces of repentance and faith are the means by which God accepts us into his family. We must repent of our sin. That is, we must turn away from sin. We must turn to Christ. We turn away from trying to do things our way and seek to do things God's way. It's a change of heart. Isaiah 55, 7 speaks of it this way. He says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God loves to forgive his children when we turn to him. This turning comes from the conviction that we've offended him and we want to do what's pleasing in his sight. You know Jesus said in Luke thirteen twice in verse three and then again in verse five he says unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Repentance is necessary unto salvation, but it is it is a gift that comes. It's it's a gift that is that is accompanied with faith. It's not it's not just something we do, but it's it's a. It's a conviction in our heart that leads us to live a different life and to pursue a different life as our heart and our mind are changed so that we stop trusting in ourselves and we start trusting in Christ. That is what faith is. That is what genuine belief is. We stop believing we can save ourselves or do enough to please God and we rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 tells us Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel in a nutshell for you. If we trust in that reality, if we put our faith in what Christ has done, and stop trying to earn God's favor on our own, stop trying to think that we're we're not as bad as, as all that. You know, you can't, if you read the Bible and you feel conviction and 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 or you hear someone talking about judgment and hell and, and what happens to sinners and, and you step back and you say, It's not that bad. You haven't comprehended the holiness of God. You haven't comprehended the wickedness of sin and what God has determined to do to it, and you can't appreciate the work of Christ and the necessity of his sacrifice. But when you do recognize those realities, Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. One of the scariest verses to me in all of Scripture, and I, and I tell this to people when I'm witnessing to them, one of the scariest verses in all of scripture to me is Matthew 7, 21. And Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That ought to scare you. I mean, just, just a little bit. I mean, even, even, I mean, I feel pretty secure in my salvation, but even when I read that, it makes me take a step back. It makes me think about, what am I really trusting in? Am I trusting in what I did, as some of the people that he addresses there? Did we not do all these wonderful works in your name? Or are we trusting in him and what he did? There's a whole lot of people who profess to follow Christ, but deny him by their works. Next, next week, the, the next mark of the of a healthy church is, is what is a biblical understanding of genuine conversion, and we're going to talk about that. but. Listen, you can't have genuine conversion without a genuine gospel. And that's why we're dealing with this tonight. We have to know and understand who God is. We have to know and understand what our sin does to our relationship to God. We have to know and understand why Christ came and what He accomplished on our behalf in order that we might repent and believe in Him. That is the good news of the gospel, and we need to understand its truths in order that we might communicate them correctly and powerfully. As Mark Dever says in his book, a healthy church knows the gospel, and a healthy church shares it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. Lord, not one of us could stand before you and say that we deserve your forgiveness. Not one of us could stand before you and say that we deserve heaven. Father, in our sinfulness, we deserve only judgment. But in your infinite wisdom, In your majestic love, in your perfect holiness, you satisfied your judgment against our sin through your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, let us never lose sight of the cost of our sin. Never let us forsake that reality. But let us revisit it day by day to remember who we were apart from you, to remember the great love which was demonstrated toward us in sending Jesus, and to remember that you have redeemed us for a purpose, that we might glorify you. Lord, may all that we do reflect the heart and the truth of the gospel that Christ might be exalted in and through this body. And we ask it in his most precious and holy name. Amen.